to the Business Blueprint Podcast, where we take you on an exciting adventure through our triumphs and challenges and failures in creating and maintaining a thriving six, seven, and eight-figure business. Get ready to dive into our strategies, decisions, and yes, even valuable lessons we've learned from our missteps. That's not all. We'll also bring you industry-leading guests who will provide you with their priceless insights and wisdom. Stay tuned because the captivating journey of the Business Blueprint begins right now. What is the similar in corporate world as being a, a Navy SEAL in an active war zone? Well, not much, right? I, I would never compare sitting in, in a meeting to being in an active war zone, but there are lessons of leadership that can be learned about how to lead people through, through what is a very stressful time. And we can also look to other industries. You know, we, we've, we've talked about the, the gold standard and one of my favorite books is the new gold standard by Michelli. Um, and it talks about the Ritz Carlton and, and Rebecca, I believe that you've read that book a little bit. Can, can you talk to us about that? Sure. And one thing that, that I love is that you can take feedback from anywhere. Right. Mm -hmm. And so you can have a phenomenal experience at a hotel, at a doctor's office, at a, at a retail store, wherever, and you can still take those lessons back and figure out how can I do this in my company? How can I execute or make the experience better for my clients, um, you know, based on, based on whatever this is. And so the gold standard, um, one of the things I really like in that book is um, empowering the employee mm -hmm. to make the client happy. And so every employee at the Ritz-Carlton, if there's a, a problem with the room or the service or whatever, the employee has like $2,000 that they can spend to make that customer happy and to fix whatever the problem is. And they don't have to call a manager and they don't have to get approval and they don't have to do this and they don't have to do that. So there's no delay and they can fix the problem they can, you know, move things along and it just, it makes an all around better experience. And so there's an acknowledgement that problems are going to happen, right? Mm -hmm. You're still going to have some sort of issue, even when you're the Ritz Carlton and you're doing, um, you're doing everything phenomenally well, but having, you know, getting rid of that kind of red tape um, when you're dealing with an issue and, and just being able to just, I can take care of this for you right now no waiting, no, no nothing. And it's not going to be more of a headache for the client. Um, I think that's one of the biggest lessons. And I think that's one thing that every industry can really execute. If you give your employees the autonomy and the ability, let them fix the problem. Don't let it spiral and snowball and turn into something worse. And how about you, Dan? I mean, did did you get? I know that you've read that book as well. Mm -hmm. uh, did you have any takeaways from it? I, a, a lot. And Rebecca's is probably the one that surprised me the most. I knew mm -hmm. Ritz had they're well known for their their product and their service, but reading that book, I I was actually shocked that they actually practice what they preach. And the fact that they empower their employees and to the extent that they power their employees, that's what I thought was one of the things that's most impressive. And it, it can tie in, as Rebecca said, into any field. Uh, and, and I always like going back to your analogy, Charles, of that circular leadership, because if you empower the employee, they feel part of that circle. They don't feel that that hierarchy. And I'm not um, 
advocating that we, you know, abdicate uh, the, the hierarchy. I mean, it is important for business decisions, but as far as actually, you know, making everyone feel part of the company and moving the company forward in a positive direction, that's where I love that circular analogy. But empowering the employee gives them that ownership. Then when you have that ownership, you, you really truly feel part of the company and it, and it benefits everybody. And it's, a, it's a, a cool thing to see an employee own something and run with it, whether it's success or failure. The fact that they're making that decision, that to me, that's a sign of success of a company. And even if it's a failure, you know what? We're going to learn from it. Just, we won't make the same mistake twice, but more often than not, you're going to fail more than you succeed, but it's picking yourself back up and moving forward. One of the right. other things from that that book, besides how they empower, is that they train and teach their employees to anticipate customer needs. And that's mm -hmm. something that every field can benefit from. It, you don't have to be just in the legal field or medical field or retail field, right? It's what are my uh, potential clients or customers? What are their needs? today, but what are their needs potentially down the road? And it's so prevalent, relevant in family law, you can have a client come in. And I just know from personal experience meeting with the client mm -hmm. that they may come in with issue X, but as we're talking, I'm thinking, well, they're really going to need X or A, B, and C down the way, or they're going to need A, B, and C to get to X. So it's trying to figure out what can we do to get there, but what else are any obstacles or what else could benefit them in, for the bigger picture? Because sometimes... And, and attorneys fall into this too. And, and, and it really, I, I think in other legal fields too, probably medical, uh, I think mm -hmm. would be just as much as the legal field is you, you really look at things in, in too myopic of a way. And mm -hmm. you want to look at it more broadly and bigger picture to truly provide that service. So that was one of the things that I took away and then the training too. But I think the two is the empowerment. I definitely agree. That's number one, but then also, um, anticipating potential changes or needs of customers and clients, because that's really what's going to set your company apart from others. It really is. I mean, I know having been on, on both sides of the coin, right? As an employee, I never felt better than when somebody trusted me enough to make a decision. Like, like you said, Dan, even if I fail, I, I, I took ownership of the failure. I said, look, this is why I failed. And I took so much more ownership when I got to make a decision that, you know, I would see a project through at a greater level of attention to detail than if I was just following the, the orders of somebody, a micromanager above me. And, and I think about my experience, my employee experience in, in those situations. And when I was being micromanaged, I was going through the motions. And that's all I did. Mm -hmm. I went through the motions. And guess what? The clients suffer because I was going through the motions versus me being allowed to make a decision where I now took ownership. I was happy and, and the client got a better outcome. Like you said, even if I fail and the greatest organizations can look at a failure and say, you know what? This wasn't really the, the best. Let's talk about your decision-making process. Why did you come to that? And if you've done a good job as an organization training people, the failure won't be that big. The, 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 everybody in your team will understand what the next step should be. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think that that's huge. Uh, you know, and, and, you know, Rebecca, you know, what have you done to really adopt this idea of empowering and, and training employees to be empowered? How do you go about doing that? 
So it's, it depends, right, on the, on the position and on the situation. Um, but I think one thing that, that we do is we try to share our, share our reasoning, mm-hmm. right? If we have someone who has a concern and, you know, they're unsure how to, how can we make this client happy? How can we get this back on track? How can we do whatever? And if I can kind of guide them through, well, this is how, you know, this is how I would tackle it. Because if we go down this road, this is what I could see happening. And if we go down that road, then this is what I could see happening. And so for that reason, this is, you know, what I think the decision should be. And so sharing your reasoning, I think is beneficial to an extent. You don't want to do that all the time and like, you know, have somebody be completely reliant on your explanation every time, Mm -hmm. but at least walking them through that and letting them see this is how I would tackle this particular problem. And this is the reason Um, And this is what I foresee as the outcome. And then the next time asking them, well, what do you think we should do? Mm -hmm. And, and let them talk through it. And maybe they come to a great resolution that maybe you didn't think of, or maybe it's exactly what you would have thought of, whatever, but just letting them take it and then say, yeah, that's great. Try it out. You know, Mm -hmm. let's see what happens. Um, And then they're going to be more confident the next time a problem comes up and they're going to be able to rely on those experiences, understanding how you tackled it and your perspective, seeing what the result was when they took ownership of it. And now they're going to be more empowered to, to go forward, even if it's something a little bit different, right? Because no two problems are ever the same. It's got to be slightly different every single time. Um, But for me, I think that's something that, that has been successful and it's, every position that's going to look a little bit different. Um, but, but I think that's kind of the formula. And, and Dan, how do you back off? And I know that that's a, that's kind of a big question, but when you're, when you tell somebody how to go do something, you, you've given them the ability to make the decision. How do you back off and trust that they're going to make the decision? Even if you think it's going off the rails. That that's, that's tough. Right. And it goes back to what you mentioned earlier on micromanaging. And I was thinking when you were saying that I had a checklist in my head, but the wrong checklist, not the checklist that you were referring to for the pilot and the doctor, but just a checklist of it's not, it benefits you and not the, the client, but you, you have to be able to trust that the employee that you're uh, having do a certain task is able to do it. They have that competency and the willingness to, to do it. And if not, then you're there to help and guide them. But the, the hardest thing for a true leader is to take that step back and not micromanage. And then at the end of the day, if the employee succeeds, great, let's celebrate. If, if there's a, a wrong decision made, well, let's talk about it, walk through it, and, and it won't happen again. But at least the decision was made. And then you can empower the employee to know, I want you to make decisions. Nothing is worse than being indecisive or no decision at all. A decision was good or bad is still a decision. And then and at the end of the day, that's good. And we'll learn what uh, from a potential mistake, but it's just backing off. And, it, and for a lot of leaders, it's hard because you want to be in control. You want to micromanage, but you have to trust your employees that they're going to get it right, or they're at least going to try. And at the end of the day, as a leader, as someone who you, you want to be able to groom and mentor, that that's what you want. You want them to take those steps forward. And if they fall, we're there to help pick them up and guide them along the, the right way. You know, for, yeah, for me, what it was is the first time I actually started managing people in different geographical regions. 
It was me thinking, hey, look, I've got this. I understand how to do something. But taking a step back and understanding that everybody in geographical regions are just slightly different, right? You know, if you have somebody living in New York City and you have somebody living in Buffalo and you want to sit in Rochester, New York and manage the clients in New York City and Buffalo and Rochester all the same, you're going to fail miserably. And it's taking that step back and trusting the the people that you have there, you know, in New York City, tell you like, hey, this this is what we need to do here versus Rochester. This is what we need to do here. Buffalo, this is what we need to do here. Florida, L.A., you know, East Coast, West Coast, all these differences was really the first place that I learned that I have to trust people. I can't think that I know. And and the new gold standard for me, what hit home was they have this this idea of excellence. It's going to be at each and every location. However, they trust the locality to dictate what the location is going to do, right? If you go to a Ritz-Carlton in Atlanta, Georgia, it's not going to be the same as the Ritz-Carlton in a different part of the country. You know, the Ritz-Carlton in Atlanta might celebrate peaches. They do. Um, And, you know, you go to a different one, like the Ritz-Carlton of Philadelphia, they they celebrate the Liberty Bell, Um, you know, and you get this different, even though it's the same level of, of great service, each location is allowed to treat you with the, the flavor of the geographical region you're in. And so for me, in, in thinking about an expansive company, that's what was so important to me, how to put this in place to where uh, you know, our, our company's level of excellence is here. Yet we acknowledge that each location is going to want a different version of that excellence. And, you know, Rebecca, can you give us an example of how you put that into practice? Yeah. So for us being in multiple states um, and learning kind of the distinctions in what you can and can't do in a divorce, you know, can you go and file right now today? Versus is there a mandatory waiting period? Do you have to file paperwork to start a separation? Just learning those procedural differences and what the options are for clients that might be in very similar situations, but the practice of what we're going to have to do for that client is going to be drastically different from location to location. So having experienced attorneys in that area that know those courts, that understand those procedures and those options is obviously essential. Um, And so we're able to reassure our clients everywhere that, you know, we're going to make sure that the case moves forward. But what that what that moves forward looks like is going to be different place by place. And so the Mm -hmm. attorney is the one that can give those specific details based on that client's situation. And Dan, from an operations standpoint, I know that you have experience in, in geographical differences that are that are both small and long. Can you give us examples of how you took policies and procedures, but tweaked them to the geographical uh, uh, regions so that not only did the the customer experience improve, but the employee experience was also strong? Sure. It it goes back to those uh, from a law firm perspective, the the practice guidelines. And Mm -hmm. as you mentioned earlier, we have that that standard, right? The gold standard of what the values of the firm is. And we don't ever want to deviate from there. But you can take those and allow each individual location to kind of make them their own in the sense that in this jurisdiction, we practice this way. So a great example is, and, and I'm sure 
others can relate. But in, in one jurisdiction, it may be very contentious and very litigious. Mm-hmm. So you, you have and, and I tend to see that more in uh, larger metropolitan areas. Uh, and then you have other jurisdictions that are a little bit not laissez faire, but a little bit more trusting and open mm-hmm. with one another and trying to to work things out from a settlement perspective and not as litigious. And we don't, as a firm, you, you want to make sure that you're protecting your client. But where a lot of firms fall into some issues are we have these guidelines. You have to do this. You have to do mm-hmm. that. And sometimes it could come across a little too litigious in other jurisdictions. Mm-hmm. And so the, the thing that I learned from being able to manage other locations, whether in a large metropolitan area or, or a smaller one, is it's not a one size fits all. And you have to listen to the attorneys that you hire on what the best practices are for that particular area. So you don't want to come in and be this large firm or business that's just coming in and, and taking over. That doesn't resonate well with the, the local community. And, mm-hmm. and I always go back to the Walmart issues or there's this other large um, law plaintiff's law firm that's going into these different uh, states and cities and buying up all these smaller PI firms. And, and it's ruffling a lot of feathers and, and not in a good way. And, and it's really upsetting the communities and the, and it's really just kind of turning things upside down. And, and that's not good. And they don't know the, the actual ways that other attorneys practice. And it's not good for the client. And then from a litigation standpoint, you also have to know the local rules. Each mm-hmm. Uh, jurisdiction is different. And Rebecca mentioned earlier, no, no two circumstances are the same. And I've argued the same facts and from the same judge, two different clients had two different results. And you can go in one jurisdiction and argue the same facts, get a result and go in another one. And, and it's totally different. So you have to pay attention as far as the way that things are are done in each jurisdiction and that will guide as far as how you lead it and mentor because at the end of the day you don't want to just rule from up here essentially right we're mm-hmm. we're not authoritarian we're, we're more collaborative and we want to make sure that we're listening to our employees because they're the ones who are the, essentially the the boots on the ground and really just sitting back and digesting what they're saying and knowing that as you mentioned everyone has an opinion and that's a good thing. And we want to mm-hmm. make sure that we're taking that into consideration because there may be other ways to, to do something. And my way isn't always going to be the right way. I may think it is at times. But when I listen and, and truly listen to somebody and take that step back to see where they're coming from, their perspective may be the better one. And that's going to benefit the business, the firm and, and the client. Yeah, you know, I agree with that 100%. You know, listening to the people on your team and drawing from their experience, really, you know, if you have five leaders, 10 leaders, 50 leaders, a board of directors at a company, listening to all of your employees still multiplies that exponentially the experience. And, you know, I always like to think about, you know, Southwest Airlines. You know, every airline has to give a safety announcement at the beginning of the flight. It's required by the FAA. Southwest went to their stewards and said, look, this is the stuff you got to get out. But other than that, have fun with it. And, you know, it it is well celebrated how much people enjoyed that on Southwest, seeing the personality of the person making the announcement and how, you know, that made their flight just a little bit more enjoyable. It it was a I think that was a really big eye opener uh, that people saw 
from the airline industry where the airline industry is so disliked because everything is so rigid and really towards safety without anything towards customer service or any personality. We saw a company throw personality, individual personality, and it was, everybody loved it. And they still get the same information across, yet they do it in the way that they want to. And that really drives back for me to the gold standard of, you know, allow your people in your locations to influence what that location is going to do. You know, if you've got a place where people are used to seeing people in cowboy boots and jeans, don't dictate that they have to wear dress shoes and, and slacks. It would look weird for the location. Um, you know, if you have a location where people, you know, you, let's say you're coastal and everybody wears sunglasses on their neck and you're like, no, 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 no sunglasses. And now they stick out. Not only are you going to come across weird to the, to the clients, but you're going to start destroying the employee experience. And, and I really think the employee experience is uh, what drives a very positive customer experience. You know, I want to thank both y'all for taking the time to talk with me today about this issue. And I, and I think, you know, comparing yourself to other organizations and opening your mind to saying, look, I can be in industry X, yet compare myself to industry Y, industry A, B, C, D. And I can draw from all these different ideas to create a really beautiful organization that's really accomplishing my goals, even though I, I practice law or I make widgets or I do medical, I can do it better. We can do better and be better. So if you like this content and want to hear more about this, click subscribe to below and, and, you know, we will come back and give advice like this and talk about things that we read and, you know, leave comments. We love to read y'all's comments and, and respond on those as well. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in. If you found this insightful and entertaining, be sure to hit subscribe below and join us on social media to get more insight into what we are going through each and every day.